You're listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast with Dr. Cameron Marshall. Ask Concussion Doc is a show where we answer your questions about concussions, treatment, and rehabilitation to help practitioners better manage these injuries. Enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 16 of Ask Concussion Doc. My name is Dr. Cameron Marshall. Uh, as always, we have three questions for today. Uh, two of them are from TZA Broda on Instagram. Um, and the other one is from Trevor on uh, my Instagram, Concussion Doc. And um, the first question is, some of my coaches are saying that it's important to do neck strengthening exercises to prevent concussions. What is your opinion on the usefulness of neck strengthening exercises for concussion prevention? And has there been any research done to support either opinion? So neck strengthening, the idea behind neck strengthening or having a strong neck is because concussion is due to acceleration or deceleration. So theoretically, if the neck is stiffer, as you get hit, uh, it doesn't cause as much of a whipping motion of the head back and forth and the brain moving inside of the skull is what causes concussion. For those of you that are following me on Instagram at concussion underscore doc, you'll see that the post I did today was actually talking about the mechanism of injury for concussion being more of a stretching and shearing of neurons or axons within the brain as opposed to the coup contra coup injury, which was thought to be the brain smashing up against the inside of the skull. Either way, the mechanism of concussion comes from acceleration, deceleration of the brain inside the skull. And the reason that happens is through a whipping motion. So if you get hit in the head and your head whips back and forth uh, to a significant enough degree at a high enough acceleration, those brain cells will start to kind of stretch and shear apart. And so uh, a few years ago, researchers started hypothesizing that if you were to increase the stiffness of the neck, there wouldn't be as much whipping motion of the head back and forth. So if you are a fighter and you're able to hold your neck in a stiff way and a hit to the head happens and you can keep your neck stiff, well, as long as that head doesn't whip back and forth, there should be no acceleration, deceleration of the brain and therefore no concussion injury. Theoretically, this makes sense. However, you can't just look at it in terms of strength because strength does not equal stiffness. Stiffness is strength, plus you need to have awareness that the hit is coming. So you need to be able to anticipate that you're going to get hit. Just having a strong neck, I mean, if you don't think that NFL players have strong necks, uh, you are definitely mistaken in that regard. And NFL get, players get concussions all the time. So it's not necessarily the strength of your neck, but it's are you aware that the impact is going to occur? A few years ago, there was some research done by um, uh, uh, research by the name of Viano. And what they did is built a, um, um, a model using machine learning type algorithms. And they built this um, kind of predictive model and they looked at and they broke down NFL impacts that resulted in concussion and what they found was the person who was getting hit was much more likely to get a concussion than the person doing the hitting and the theory was that the person doing the hitting is aware that they're going to make contact and so they stiffen themselves up they get prepared for the impact the person who gets concussed is often unaware that the impact is going to occur Therefore, if you're a receiver looking over your shoulder and you get hit, your head is not and get your neck is not engaged. 
And so uh, what they found was peak acceleration of the head happened in the first six to 20 milliseconds of contact. If you look at the research around uh, concussion, you find that, or sorry, if you, if you look at the research around neck stiffness and neck strength, it takes between 150 to 300 milliseconds to even initiate contraction of the muscles in your neck. It takes another 150 milliseconds to get to half of that contractile strength. So you're up now to close to half a second and you haven't even reached half of the contractile strength of the muscles in your neck. So neck strength can be important, but really the variable you're considering here is neck stiffness. You need to have neck strength, but you also need to have game awareness enough that you can contract your neck in time for before that impact occurs. So if you're a fighter and you can keep your neck stiff throughout that fight, I think that's going to serve as a protective mechanism for you. If you're playing a more dynamic sport where you could get hit from all angles and you're not sure when that hit's going to come from, and you have to keep your neck loose to understand where that hit may come from, you're not going to be able to tighten up in time uh, if you're not aware that that hit is going to come. And you need at least probably about a second of um, leeway in order to contract your neck quick enough for the strength of your neck to actually make any type of difference whatsoever. So for those dynamic sports, I tend to preach more of a game awareness um, and kind of a neuromuscular facilitation, being able to you know, work on contracting quickly, more so than the, the ultimate just strength of your neck. Uh, for fighters, I tend to work on more endurance, being able to keep your neck stiff throughout uh, about, I think that is more important. So um, in terms of exercises, I mean, you can go in any way, but uh, for you as a fighter, uh, I would work on more endurance type exercises, being able to hold your neck stiff for long periods of time, uh, potentially either with or without resistance. Um, so that's my long-winded answer about that. Question number two. Same person, TZA Broda on Instagram. You explained that there's a drop in energy levels in the brain when a concussion happens. So I am wondering if you know of any research regarding any supplements that may be helpful in restoring energy levels. Uh, I came across some articles online saying that creatine supplementation might be useful. Is this accurate and are there any other supplements that may be useful? So yes, this is probably the one supplement that has um, intrigued a lot of people in terms of ATP. Um, usage. So what creatine monohydrate helps to do is um, helps to increase ATP um, production uh, in the muscles and that's why it's effective for people who are doing weightlifting and that's how it increases body mass because when your muscles would normally fatigue they're able to pump out those last few reps which ultimately leads to greater hypertrophy of the muscles and that's why it's used in, in bodybuilding. Now at the same token the theory is that it might also be able to increase ATP within the brain. So concussion results in this ATP energy crisis, and so they've been studying creatine for a few years now, mostly in animal studies. I know that there's a few human trials underway, I believe in California. I haven't seen any published results from those yet, so stay tuned for the human trials, but I think theoretically creatine makes a lot of sense, and it has been shown in animal models to be effective at reducing the um, 
the length of recovery time uh, following concussion injury. So I would say that creatine would be one of those ones that you should be doing. And it might actually help to be taking that ahead of time as well, just because if you're increasing the stores ahead of time, if an injury does occur, um, it can be helpful at the back end. Uh, some other supplements to consider, I don't have any for ATP directly, but one thing that concussion can uh, cause is inflammation. Obviously, any injury is going to cause kind of an inflammatory response. Sometimes that inflammation can get a bit of a hand and, um, and can kind of beget more inflammation. It becomes this cyclical process. And so typically what we, re we recommend immediately post-injury is trying to avoid foods that are known to be pro-inflammatory. So uh, things like dairy, gluten, alcohol, uh, refined sugars, those types of things can create inflammatory responses within the body. And if you have any type of injury uh, and you increase that, that, that inflammation, that could increase the long-term effects of the, of the concussion injury. So typically for, for us, we tend to, uh, there's some evidence too on uh, caloric restriction and that type of thing. So we typically go to um, this kind of avoiding of pro-inflammatory foods. Uh, there's other supplements such as magnesium, which can help to, um, if, if your magnesium stores are sufficient, it can actually help to uh, prevent as much of an ATP decline. So this is one of those ones, magnesium would be one you should be taking prior to the injury to help uh, keep those magnesium levels high. Uh, there's all sorts of these ones. There's ones that can reduce inflammation, uh, omega-3 fatty acids following concussion, uh, and also before concussion have been shown to be effective in, again, animal uh, studies. Some people are proponents of a high dose of omega-3s um, immediately following injury, very, very, very high dosage. Um, I'm not sure if that's necessary. Those are mostly theoretical at this point uh, from severe brain injury um, cases. So there's a number, there's a lot of interest in the supplement space. Um, we actually have a sport naturopath who's part of the advisory board for complete concussion management. He does our entire uh, nutrition lecture, which is about three hours long. Um, and I don't think that's in the level one, but if you are interested in that, uh, in our clinical certification course, there's a full-on module where he talks about all sorts of different supplements and all the evidence to uh, support or refute those. Um, so I'm not necessarily the expert on the supplement side. This is kind of secondhand regurgitation of what I've learned uh, from him and stuff that I commonly recommend to my patients have been found to be effective. So not an exhaustive list, but definitely creatine. There is some evidence on uh, in the animal studies, and there are human trials underway right now. Uh, last question, visual motion sensitivity and dizziness in large crowds, uh, any advice? I think this is extremely common for patients. I think the majority of my patients will report dizziness in crowds. They'll also report dizziness uh, in shopping malls and supermarkets, walking up and down the aisles, as well as potentially riding in cars or driving. Um, this is what's called visual motion sensitivity. So if you're somewhere and you see there's a lot of motion happening around you and just your eyes looking at it and that makes you feel dizzy, you could have what's called visual motion sensitivity. My best advice for that would be to find um, some sort of therapist who's specialized in concussion rehab and can actually pick apart whether or not it's visual motion sensitivity or whether or not it's something else. And sometimes you just gotta go through a process of kind of ruling things out through physical exams and things like that, they'll be able to guide you as to the next steps and appropriate rehab to do. 
One of the rehab tools, though, that you can use without even necessarily um, having a therapist prescribe it to you is actually exposure type therapy. So exposing yourself to the stimulus that increases your symptoms um, is becoming more well known in the concussion space. And it's um, uh, basically it's, it's habituation and adaptation to the, to the stimulus that is provoking. So if you find that, you know, being in large crowds is tough and there's a lot of motion going on by exposing yourself to large crowds more and more, your brain gets used to that uh, and it stops being so provocative for you. And so that's one of the therapies that we commonly recommend for vision, visual motion sensitivity. But the important part is figuring out if that's actually what it is or if it's something else. Because if it's something else and you're going into crowds, uh, you might not get the benefit that uh, that you would. But um, I don't think it's going to hurt you by doing that. So the big thing with concussion, I think, to keep in mind is that in the post-concussion syndrome phase, in the later stages of concussion, um, symptoms are not necessarily a bad thing, right? In the acute stages, we tell you to really monitor your symptoms, and anything that provokes your symptoms should be avoided. Well, in the chronic state, we're we tend to take more of a if it bothers you, do it more. Uh, approach because that can help to habituate and help you to adapt to that stimulus so that it is no longer um, something that is, is, is provocative. So you have to kind of gradually work your way in and this is where um, a trained kind of concussion practitioner can can help you to, uh, to be on the right track. Did anything come up during that? All right. Thanks everyone for joining. That was episode 16. If you missed us live, you can always see our videos on YouTube and you can listen to us on a podcast uh, on uh, Apple Podcasts as well as SoundCloud. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a review. Have questions about concussion management for future episodes? Submit them to our website, Facebook, or even Instagram. See you next time.